Hey everybody, I'm Michael Marks from the San Antonio Current. Welcome to this week's Current Cast. So this week I interviewed Shay Serrano. Shay's a writer, an illustrator, and a bit of a social media savant who happens to be from San Antonio. He writes about things like basketball, hip-hop, and coaching middle school sports. Shay was a staffer at Grantland, and his book, The Rap Yearbook, was a New York Times bestseller last year. Now he's working on a basketball book, and he produces an illustrated newsletter called Basketball and Other Things. Here's my conversation with him. I was born in Santa's home. I wanted to ask a little bit first about growing up in San Antonio, you know, where you grew up and uh, what that looked like. I grew up over on the southwest side in a neighborhood called Valley High. Yeah. And it looked like, I don't know, I imagine it looked like what it still looks like, just a bunch of lower class Mexicans hanging out and doing hood rat things. How long did you, how long did you live here? I lived in San Antonio until I was 18, and then I, I left for college. Or, you know what? My dad was in the military, so there was like a, a a year when I was real young, maybe like one or two years old, when we lived in Germany. He was stationed there. But prior to that, and, and then after that, for the whole rest of the time, it was it was in San Antonio. It's it's tough for anybody to, to get up and go from the place they're from. Um, I don't know. Were you excited to, to leave? When you left? I was. You know what? I, w- I was in a spot where I felt like I felt like San Antonio, the area where I was in, was sort of eating up all of the people I had grown up with. And so it just felt like I needed to get away from there or else it was going to happen to me too. And uh, so I was really excited when I got into a college because none of my other buddies were going to college or anything like that. And uh, I barely was able to sneak into one. I went to the school in Huntsville. It's called Sam Houston State. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, a teacher at my school, I went to Southwest High School. A teacher there ended up helping me like, get into that school. And so, yeah, when it, when I got the chance, I was, I was gone, man. Uh, yeah, that's one of the, that's one of the things I, I wanted to bring up. Uh, when you helped us out a couple of months ago, you wrote that, that love hate letter. I was looking back over that, and I I remember reading at the time, but rereading it, it it struck me how heavy that hate letter was when you I wrote it down. Even it said, you know, you were talking about the hurt you understood when you became a father, how so many of your friends were swallowed up, and you know, dreams were laid to ruin for for some of your family members. I mean, like I said, that's pretty heavy. Uh, what sort of things were you specifically trying to get at there? Uh, well, I was just. I don't know, man. I was seeing things I didn't like happen. And it was, and at the time it just seemed normal. Like it seemed normal for your uncles or your family members to be in jail because everybody's uncles or family members were in jail. It wasn't a, it wasn't a strange thing until I got away from it. I stepped outside of that and I was like, Oh man, everybody's people doesn't uh, they don't have to experience this thing or they don't have to live this lifestyle you don't have to be on on welfare you don't have to be uh have alcoholism or or drug abuse like that's not a thing that everybody has to deal with when right. you get away from it you realize that when you're in the middle of it it's just like oh this is a normal thing and this is how 
the universe is. So yeah, when I left is when I realized all that stuff was was going on, and I was like, yeah, I, I felt uh, a big sadness when you realize that, and I also felt like this profound appreciation for my parents for like getting me out of there, making sure that I wasn't affected as much as maybe I could have been by that stuff. When you went to college, did you, uh, did you have writing in mind? Did you have something specific in mind or was it, was it more of, you know, this is an opportunity and um, I guess I kind of know I'm supposed to go to college. So I guess that's what I'll do. Yeah, it was, you know, my mom told me I was either going to Sam Houston State. She said, you're either going to Sam Houston State or you're going to Fort Sam. And because my dad was in the military, my uncles, uh, a few of my uncles were in the military. Like that was, the, it was, you're doing one of these two things is what she laid out for me. And I said, well, I'm not built for the military. So <laughs> I guess I'll go to, I guess I'll go to college. I didn't have any intention on, on writing or anything like that. When I was at Southwest, they had this, they introduced this criminal justice program. And so I signed up for that because whatever you need in the electives. And I really liked it. It was, it was really interesting to me. It was exciting to learn this sort of cool law enforcement stuff. So I went to, to Sam Houston because that's like a big criminal justice school. And I got there and I was, that was my major. I was there for maybe like a year, uh, two years. And you start taking the serious criminal justice classes and we were in one of them, and they showed us, like, these photos from a crime scene, like the murder photos. Oh, man. And I thought, and, and it was like, as soon as I saw the pictures, I said, oh, no, this is not for me at all. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to do this any sort of way. And I always had in my head that I wanted to be a teacher anyway. So I think, well, I, I'm just going to finish this degree out and then go on to be a, be a teacher somewhere because I feel like that's a good, a good job for me. So when I left school, that's what I was trying to do was be a, a teacher. And I did that for a good long time. I did it for nine years. I taught at school in Houston. And uh, and writing just sort of happened during that nine-year period. Yeah. And it eventually took off. Yeah, you taught middle school, right? That's correct. Yeah. What um, my, my wife is in the process of becoming a middle school teacher. And I, it takes a certain kind of person. You know, like, yeah, yeah, it really does. I, I remember what I was like and what all my terrible little friends were like at, at 12 and 13 and, and thinking about having to deal with, with those kinds of kids every day. What I mean, uh, did you enjoy it or was it uh, or was it tough? No, I really liked it. It felt as soon as I started, it felt like the right thing. It felt like what I was supposed to be doing with my life because I knew when I was like nearing the end of college, I, I had a professor, her name was Dr. Salcedo, and she pulled me aside one day, this was near the end of the semester or something, and we had this big long conversation about about being a Latino and moving like moving up further than your parents did is, is what we were talking about. And she was asking me a bunch of these questions I had never even thought about, and one of them she mentioned was, okay, you grew up in San Antonio on the southwest side, which is almost exclusively Hispanic right. and you were in school for all, for these 12, 13 years from kindergarten to high school. How many Latino teachers did you have? And then how many of those guys were, how many of them were male? And I was trying to think back and I, and, and all that time I had one teacher, his name was Mr. Hernandez. He was like a music teacher or something. And then all the rest of them were either white men or women or 
occasionally a black man or woman and every once in a while a, a, a Latino woman, but there were no Hispanic males in the schools teaching them when she said that, that like that really changed the way I was thinking about a lot of stuff. So I said, oh, I want to do that. I want to be that guy. I want to teach at a low income school that's predominantly Hispanic and I want to be there for a long time. I want to be part of that community. And so like that's the job I was trying to chase down. And when I got it, it just felt really good and really, it felt really right. I mean, it was very, it's a very hard job. It's you, like you get it, you run into these things that you never anticipate. And my first year I was there, my wife was pregnant with twins and I was like working in the end of the class every once in a while. You want to, you want to give the kids some personal information so they feel like invested in you, like you're invested in them. And I was showing them pictures one day of the uh, ultrasound that we had and I was, I had it on a little projector and I'm explaining, okay, this is this and this is that. These are my kids. I was really excited. And then this kid in the back of the class raised his hand and he said, Hey, I said, what's up, man? He said, do you want to see a picture of my kids? This is an eighth grader. Oh shit. And I, and I was like, what are you talking about? And he, said, he had two daughters already. He had a, he had the picture tucked in to the, you remember putting stuff in the front of your binders, like that clear sheet. Yeah. Yeah. He had, he had a picture of like a low rider truck, John Cena and then his two daughters in there and it just was like that was a big moment for me yeah when I realized there's some like heavy stuff going on here so I just felt like I needed to be there yeah it's a it's a fantastic job man it's super hard do you keep up with any of those kids a few of them hit me up every once in a while on Twitter or like I had a book signing in Houston and a couple of them showed up or I did this I had a talk I had to give a talk at the University of Texas in Austin and one of, and a kid showed up there who went to the school. I was at, and that was like a really neat moment. But uh, yeah, every once in a while I hear from him. Going to uh, uh, to Sam Houston State, going to college. I mean, from what you just said, that's not a path that most of your peers took. You know, you tend to do what most of your friends do. I mean, do you remember that being a difficult period at all, where you were making this choice that was? Uh, maybe objectively one that gave you more opportunity, but but a lot different from what your your friends were doing. No, because you know you know what it was. Again, I I didn't I didn't intend on going to college. It wasn't the thing I was trying to do. My eyes weren't big enough at the time to see that far ahead. Yeah. All I knew was what am I going to do this this afternoon or to, you know I was in that in that spot. So when I signed up, I signed up for like this college prep program at our at our high school. The only reason I signed up was because this girl signed up who I was trying to talk to. <laughs> like 100%, that's the only reason I went. And and when you're when you're in there, you go to the meetings and they make you fill out applications. They make you sign up for the SAT. Like the only reason I was there was because of her. And I just happened to do this other stuff. And one of the applications I filled out was to Sam Houston, and then they they took me in. I don't even think she ended up going to school for like a semester somewhere else, and then dropped out. But by that point, I was already, I was, I was away from San Antonio from high school. And I was able to look back and see how different this new environment was from where I came from. And when that happened, I really was excited about, oh man, I'm, I feel like I'm going to do something important here. Important with respect to my family. Like I was the first one to go to college or graduate high school or whatever. So it felt like once you get to that spot, it's easier to stay motivated. Right. Do you, do you make it back here often? Yeah, we go every uh, maybe every couple months or every couple weeks, depending on what. You know, all my family is still down there, so like I'll be there in a couple weeks because 
my cousin's kid is having a birthday party here, whatever. How does it how does it compare to I don't know the way you remember it when you were a kid growing up? Do you see it in a different way now? No, I don't think so because when I when I was growing up, it was this really great place for me, and I have all these you know really good memories. And I think I'm I'm 34 now, so I've been gone for 16 years. So when you just I think it's a natural thing to where you remember something, you remember it well, like you remember it in a positive light. So that there was maybe a period when I was in college or right after I got out of college where I felt like, oh, that might have been a bad place. But it's to the point in my life now where I look back and I just remember all the good things that happened or the fun things or the crazy things. So I remember it as fondly as I felt about it when I was there. Your dad's a, a Via driver, right? I think I read that. Yeah, he's been there for shoot like thirty years, something like that. Does he have Does he have good bus driver guy stories? Oh yeah, yeah, he's got a ton of them. He's a, yeah, yeah, really. I remember when we were younger and he was driving on the bus, and he would like he would bring home whatever that he found on the bus. Like he he would tell these different stories about some gang members threw a bunch of rocks or they tried to like attack his bus one like these crazy things are happening because he's driving over on the west side or the east side and, and it was like it was neat just to see him in that in that role you know so yeah there was, there was a even a point where he drove the bus in our neighborhood and it was like i was kind of a celebrity at that point because my dad was the <laughs> bus driver and everybody knew him and they like respected him and it was just a cool it was a cool thing man i'm, I'm glad that he's still doing it yeah, so he's still he's still out there. He's still dri- wow. That's a that's a yeah. long that's a long time to be driving a bus. Yeah, he's driven well. They they have like a, a way that they track how many miles he's driven. He's been way over a million miles. Something goofy like that. Wow. And uh, yeah, he's been working that job. And my mom's been working the same job too. She works at a like a corner store. She's been there for damn near thirty years as well. These are like hardworking people. When you talk to them about the work that you're doing. Uh, do they get it? Do they do they get like oh you're doing a newsletter with like Street Fighter but also kind of basketball? Like how do you <laughs> how do you explain how you're feeding your family to your parents? They understand that I'm writing. They understand it's a different kind of work. And I think they're at a spot now where they're they're like proud of the fact that I don't have to go out and dig holes to put in sprinklers or whatever like they're excited that i'm able to to take care of the people i love with just by like sitting around and thinking of stuff and typing into a computer it was weird in the beginning because they i guess i think maybe they kind of didn't get it but now oh he's got a book and it did this or he's done this other thing and uh, they they understand and then my my dad like especially he understands if i say oh i make x amount of money a year doing this then he's like oh okay i get it now like, I understand why you spend your time doing that. Switch gears a little bit. Talk about your kids. Are you at all concerned that your children are going to grow up to be Rockets fans? Oh, God, no. No, I don't. I've, been, I've been pushing the Spurs on them since they were born. One of my kids is named after one of the Spurs, so it's like, it's in them. It's in their blood. More than anything, I'm more concerned they can grow up and try to be writers or illustrators. One of my kids the other day told me he was going he was going to quit school cuz he's just going to be a writer. And I was like, "You little you little bastard." <laughs> uh how old are they? Each uh, there's you have three, right? 
I have three. I have twin eight-year-old boys. Mm-hmm. They'll actually be nine in a couple months. And then I have a, uh, a three-year-old little kid, little boy, all boys. Are the man? Are the eight-year-olds engaged in basketball, or is it still a little early? They don't care about sports at all. Like zero percent into sports. I tried to when they were younger. I put them in everything: soccer, a couple seasons of soccer, a couple seasons of basketball, baseball. They did all of it just to see do you like this or not? And they didn't, they didn't like it. They did Taekwondo. They did everything. They weren't for it. I put them in drums. They really liked drums. They really liked one of them is in gymnastics now. And he's been in that for like a year. He really likes it. And the other one is in an art class that he's super into. So they're going to be artsy type kids. It feels like they were in basketball the first time. It's like the first season of basketball. And they played this game. They played really poorly in it. And I was really intense at this time, and I was, like, screaming during the game, and after the game, I'm yelling at him in front of everybody and telling him, like, you never play like that. I'm on my Greg Popovich shit. Like, you're not trying hard enough. They're handing out snacks to the kids after the game, and I'm like, no, you don't get any snacks. You don't deserve any. Like, I'm digging them up. This is ridiculous. In front of the whole gym, just loud as can be. And they were, like, four years old, and I was <laughs> and I was doing that. And I... Like, I got home, and I just felt awful afterward, and I realized this is not the way that I want to be a yeah. dad. So, I, you know, after that point, we, I made sure they tried everything. You have to try everything at least once because you don't know if you like it or not. And we put them in all the stuff, and then whatever they liked, we let them do it again. They wanted to do soccer again. We let them do soccer again. They wanted to – the only thing that I didn't let them do was football. They want to play tackle football. And I was like, no, nah, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Um, I don't want you banging your, your heads around. But, yeah, everything else, try this, try this. And then the drawing class is what he really likes. So he's been in that for a while in gymnastics. Like, I don't need them to like what I like. I just need them to like something. I want them to have a thing that they're excited about doing. Yeah. Let me just take your temperature on how you feel about where the Spurs are in the playoffs right now with all the injuries that have happened to other teams. Uh, What do you think? I think they're positioned well. This is usually they're one of the teams who they have this – silly injury that happens that opens it up for somebody else this is the first time i can remember in recent history where things sort of broke their way it happened in 2014 when they won the title i think that was the year westbrook was hurt if i'm not mistaken i think Um, so yeah but for the most part it usually doesn't go that way for them so i feel they have a they have a, a good shot i'm terrified of the thunder i'm always scared of them for some reason i think because west russ westbrook is so overtly mean and aggressive that it just intimidates me <laughs> watching it watching it on tv so i i'm terrified when the spurs play them i'm more afraid of them than i am the warriors because really I don't know. yeah you know i think i think it might be we're expected to beat the thunder so if we don't then it's disappointing we're not expected to beat the warriors so if we don't then whatever we weren't supposed to beat them anyway so i maybe there's a little bit of that hiding in there but yeah i'm more afraid I feel like if we beat the Thunder, then then nobody's going to beat us. Are you are you at all frustrated by the fact that the Warriors' all time season has, uh, in some ways, clouded out the fact that the Spurs have also had an all time great season, like definitely their best regular season? No, I think it's I think that's the dopest thing in the whole universe to me is that the Spurs had the best season ever that they've ever had in their franchise history. 
and nobody talked about it because that's exactly how the Spurs have existed since 1997. Right. Now that you, now that you just said that, like that, that seems like the most Spurs thing to ever happen. It's so poetic and perfect that I just, that's why I think they're going to win the title this year. And then it's going to be like, Oh, Oh yeah. These guys. Yeah. That makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Outside of the big three, uh, and Kawhi, who's uh, who's the spur who you like most on this current team? It's probably a toss up, depending on the game between Patty Mills and Boris Diaw. Yeah, those are the those are like my guys. Why, those why is two that? guys, when I look at them, when I watch them play, I know that they're not afraid of any of the moments that get put in front of them. Not at all. They, they, if they mess up, if if Patty Mills misses a shot to win the game, I know in my heart it wasn't because he was nervous. He just missed it. Same thing with Boris Diaw. If he makes a mistake in a game, I know it wasn't because he was nervous. I don't feel that way about somebody like LaMarcus Aldridge when I watch him play. I feel like he's a little skittish. I, don't, I think about a lot about that first game they played in uh, against the Warriors, the first game of the season when they played them at their house. And he put up like five points. He was just invisible. Tim Duncan wasn't playing. So, like, this is your moment right now, LaMarcus. Golden State was on this remarkable run. LaMarcus, you shut this down. Let's go. David West went out there. It was, like, in the first two minutes of David West being out there, he tried to elbow a guy in the head. And I was like, yes, this is the attitude we're looking for. This is the attitude I need right now. And LaMarcus was invisible. So, if I'm looking at the other Spurs that I like, it's always somebody like that, somebody who I know isn't backing down from a situation. And maybe a little bit somebody who I've I've watched battle around a bit. I don't think that's in Aldridge's DNA. Like I don't, I don't think he's that guy. Like I, I don't think he, he's definitely not the guy to throw an elbow. But I don't know what's what's the big game Lamarcus Aldridge has ever been. What's Lamarcus Aldridge's biggest moment in his career so far? I, that's, yeah, it's got to be a concern. Yeah, and and again, I don't need somebody to throw an elbow. Patty Mills has never thrown an elbow right. at anybody. Tim Duncan has not done that. But you can tell when they're playing, when they're nervous, and when they're not. And I feel like a lot of the times in those big situations, LaMarcus, he, he kind of doesn't want it. He kind of doesn't want the ball. I might be totally wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But I feel like I'm right. You've been there for a while. What's your, what's your, your thumbnail sketch of the city of Houston as it compares to San Antonio, the two places you've spent the longest amount of time? They are, you know, they're, they're a lot more similar than I think people realize. The main difference with, with Houston is that it's just a little bit faster. It's a little bit faster. It's a little bit, a little bit ruder. But not a lot, not a significant amount, but enough that you'd notice it. And so when you're in San Antonio, it just feels like it feels like a small town still, even though it's gigantic. It feels like you get a big city feel, but in a small town, if that makes any sense. And Houston doesn't feel like that. Houston feels like like they're a major metropolitan city and they know it and they, they are actively pursuing that reputation. What are the ways in which it's, I don't know, 5% ruder than San Antonio? If you go to like a fast food restaurant, let's say if I go to whatever, if I go to Chacho's, they don't have Chacho's in San Antonio, right? Do no, they there, have that? There's a, there's a Chacho's. Okay. Good, yeah. So like if you go to the one in San Antonio, 
when you order your food and you pay for your food, they're like, thanks. Thanks for coming by. Have a good day. And then Houston, they're like, here's your food. And that's it. <laughs> that's just, and, that, and it's not every situation, but like, it's just that little tiny bit like that. Right. Right. It doesn't, and maybe, okay. maybe there's probably some sort of bias there. I might be looking for that to happen because I always just like San Antonio more. But I don't know. Has it been weird to to go from, you know, being a guy cranking out articles and that sort of thing, which is still who you are, but now, but now you're also a guy who, who people go to, who you know, you come on stuff like this, or you're a guy who gets interviewed. It, that's that's got to be a little weird. It, you know what? I'm going to say not really because it's a slow transition. It wasn't like one day nobody wanted to talk to me, and then the next day, I've got seven requests to go on seven like NPR or MTV or whatever. Like it happens every once in a while, you get a thing and then another thing, and so you slowly get more and more comfortable in that spot. The only time it's weird is when, like, when it manifests itself in the real world. If I go to a place, or if I have a book signing and I show up. And there are like 400 people, 500 people there. Like that feels weird because you've got these people who already know a whole bunch about you. And they're like, oh, I'm a big fan. It's weird to hear somebody say that they're a fan of yours. But for the most part, it just feels like I'm just goofing around on the Internet with people. And we're having a good time and we're making some jokes, you know? Yeah. But that's that's when it gets strange is real life. Because on the, on, on the Internet. If I make a joke, I'm watching a basketball game, and I know a bunch of other people on Twitter watch the basketball game, and I make a joke, people don't respond to the joke with like, oh, man, I'm your biggest fan. This was such a funny joke. They don't do that. It's just a conversation back and forth. They have a reply. I have a reply, whatever. When it's, for some reason, when it's in the real world, now they want to tell you these things that they're feeling. Um, so that's, that's when it's a little bit different or weird, I guess. A lot of your popularity, I mean, stems from your interaction with folks on social media. Do you think that people have a degree of assumed familiarity when they meet you in person because they've, you know, uh, they've got retweeted by you or like, you know, joked around with you during a Spurs game or whatever it is? Yeah, there's definitely that. More than anything, the situation that happens is they know these things about you. Like, if you and I met today in real life, we're just hanging out. We met at a bar during the game, and we're talking. We could just have a normal conversation, whatever. But if it's somebody who, like, if you've been following me on Twitter for a year or you've been reading my stuff for a year, then you're going to sit down to that conversation, and you're going to already have this base of information. You're probably going to ask me about you're going to ask me about my dog because I post pictures of him, or you're going to ask me about my kids. You're, like, you're going to know these things about me before I've – said them to you when I'm looking in your face. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So there's that sort of familiarity that's there, but uh, but besides that then no, it's not like a weird a weird thing at all. Does that color the way you build new relationships with people though? Like because a lot of times I'm sure people come in and they they have already constructed things about you because of how much they know from social media. I mean, have you found that to to have changed the way you interact with people and, and make new friends, meet new people? No, because it only, it only affects it for like the first 10 or 15 minutes. If you're talking to somebody, 
because they they only have like four or five things that they that they are going to want to know about or or ask you about. Like I give you an example. Yesterday, I was at I have this office that I work out of in Houston, and I was there, and a guy wanted me to sign some stuff for whatever reason. He wanted me to to sign it for his friend, and so I said, "Cool, just bring it by the office, and I'll sign it." And there you go. And so he came by. I never met this person before, but he had emailed me and asked if he could come, and I guess he been following me on Twitter. So he showed up and I, I was signing this thing and we talked for a minute and then we just went to lunch. I said, Hey, I've got some time. You want to go get some lunch? And we went and sat down at eight. And for like the first two or three minutes, he was, you know, asking questions that people ask in that situation. And then after that, it was, it just became this normal conversation. And I was, we were talking about what he, his job and like how he had just moved to Houston. So we're going over that whole thing. Like it's only weird for a small amount of time. And then after that, it's just a normal conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. That makes sense. Shave, uh, before I wrap up again, I, I really appreciate you taking a little time. I want to make sure people know how to find your work uh, if they want to keep up with what you're doing. What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I think you just follow me on Twitter. That's where I put most of my stuff. I don't have like an official website or anything. So it's just my name, at Shea Serrano. If I do anything interesting, I'm, uh, it'll probably end up on there. Other than that, I'm not working on anything but a book that won't be out until next year, so we're good to go. Uh, what's the book? That's a basketball book. Okay. Can you tell us anything else besides it's a basketball book or not yet? No, I don't want to. Okay. Well, that's reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I appreciate the time very much. This is great. Yeah, no sweat. Anytime. All right, there it is. If you didn't catch it, you can follow Shay at the Twitter handle at Shay Serrano. Also, subscribe to his weekly newsletter, Basketball and Other Things. Remember to subscribe to CurrentCast through iTunes, Stitcher, or visit our SoundCloud page. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk at you next week.